Zach whipped out his mic, which means it must be Cookie Pocket. Yep. Time to rumble. Episode 91. Yeah. yeah. Rumble, tumble. How uh, how are y'all doing today, Zach and Cristiano? Can't complain. Can't complain. Mm-hmm. Pretty darn good, huh? <laughs> um, so let's say you were put in a box and you had to escape <laughs> oh. how how great would that escape have to be well it might be a t- two and a, a half movie. out of five I mean um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh my um, god well the box is actually a POW <laughs> camp in World War 2 because we're doing the great escape don't Wasn't say <laughs> <laughs> the Great Escape is a 1963 American war suspense escape film thingy. We're back to many genres again. <laughs> Directed by John Sturgis, whose proudest moment in his career was when Kurosawa said he loved The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> Produced by West Side Story, producer of Mirror's Pictures, and is based on the insider account of the 1944 Stalag Luft 3, Mass Escape of the same name. And follows British Commonwealth POWs along with three Americans that were probably not there in real life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, it stars t- Steve King of Cool McQueen, mm-hmm. James All the Movies Gardner, Richard Isla Nublar Attenborough, James Scottish Donald. Is it, wait, I said Donald, didn't I? <laughs> James somebody. What's his name, Zach? I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> I think his name is James Donald. Um, Donald Carpenter alum Pleasance. And many others because I was running out of time. <laughs> what did you guys think of the film? Well, Christian, why don't why don't you start on this one? Because I uh, think you have kind yeah, of the Christian's outlier. Really anxious. Here. Christian's anxious. You, you just had to do that to me. Uh, I didn't think you'd do that to me, Zach. I really didn't. Um, well, let's see. It's it's totally fine, and I think. My t- my two and a half score tends to be my default score when I have to acknowledge on some level that a film is impressive for its time or good to an audience that does not include me, but I also didn't particularly enjoy it. So I, I landed on a two and a half out of five for this. Um, and my biggest complaints are probably the runtime and especially in the first half, um, the way the way that the drama is portrayed and the conflict and the, the power dynamics of the whole thing. Um, I just, I, uh, I didn't feel like the, uh, the Germans uh, or, or the camp itself by extension were, were a very tangible threat. And as a result of that, I felt like I couldn't latch onto the conflict very much or feel uh, any, any real sense of peril for the characters. Um, maybe that's silly because going into this, we know that it's based on a true story and it's called The Great Escape, so they're probably going to escape in a great fashion. <laughs> but, um, I still like to feel some level of suspense or um, at least internally questioning the, their their success. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Elmer Bernstein's score. I found myself uh, humming and, and whistling it uh, after the film was over. And uh, I think Zach was, was whistling it or humming it a second <laughs> before we hit the record button. Yeah. Um, it's very catchy, and uh, it does a great job of sort of stirring up drama, uh, if in an old-fashioned way. Um, I, I found that a nice touch. Um, and the other thing, for me at least, the characters were just not very distinct. And I think this comes from uh, a, uh, a mode of performance that is 
confined to the the time period i just felt like other than i guess steve mcqueen um most of the characters just sort of blended together in my head i don't remember any of their names but i guess it's not too uncommon for for a film to come out not not knowing a character's name but um yeah 170 minutes is a long time and uh when the first hour of that or so is a lot of talking about what you probably already know is going to happen for like the last two hours, it just grew very tedious for me. So two and a half. Uh, I enjoyed elements of the, the escape itself. Um, like, like the motorcycle, like the, and then that he turns really cool. around and he goes, the <laughs> yeah, yay. motorcycle. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I wish I liked this more, but uh, ultimately I didn't found it, uh, find it super memorable. So alas, Okay. Um, I, I enjoyed this. Um, and this is a film that I've enjoyed uh, quite a bit since I was, I mean, a kid. Uh, I, I probably watched this the first for the first time when I was like 10, because uh, my family had it on um, a dual VHS, the two tapes in the same box. <laughs> um, and uh, I saw, Christian, there was a Letterboxd review that you had liked that said there's, like, three camps of people who review this film, probably. There's, like, older people who like it from when it came out, younger people who are influenced by those older people, and people who think it's just okay. Um, <laughs> and I, I think on the younger people camp, I'm probably an outlier there, because when I was a kid, I remember really liking this movie, despite the length, um, and despite not really knowing who any of the leading stars of it really were at the time um I, I think in a lot of ways this is kind of a you had to be there type um type film because i will agree christian that i think the characters on paper aren't all that distinct from each other but the characters aren't necessarily their characters by name as much as they are that's james garner that's donald mm-hmm. pleasance in the same way that mm-hmm. like I mean, it's a little harder to find a comparison now that, like, movie stars aren't really a thing anymore. But, um, I don't know. This is kind of almost like a like an Avengers Infinity War style cast, where you're coming to kind of see all these people in the same movie more than you're necessarily coming to see, um, oh, I really want to see the story that they play out, and I want to see how all of the characters are distinct from each other. It's more, look at all this big-name talent we've got in the same space. Um, that said, despite being impressed by it a lot when I was a kid and really enjoying it when I was a kid, uh, this viewing, I, I found it to be thoroughly good, um, but I wasn't super impressed, uh, by the film as a whole. Um, I'm, I'm relatively entertained by it the whole way through, and the long running time kind of whipped right by for me, um, but a lot of the, the kind of style of the filmmaking is kind of plane where we're getting these wide shots of the camp and wide shots of the road and every now and then there's a moment with a very inventive shot or a really neat set piece the the motorcycle chase is a highlight i think the motorcycle chase is also uh, an obvious influence on um uh the motorcycle chase in the last crusade Mm -hmm. um which has a similar setting Mm -hmm. and similar beats um even if it's a little more over the top in places um Another shot I really love towards the beginning of the film, we see this high-angle crane shot of, like, the whole camp with everybody walking in, and then you crane down from that shot, and then the fence appears at the bottom of the shot until you're filming through the fence to see everybody through it. 
Um, there's little inventive moments like that that I think really are highlights, but they're few and far between, I think. Um, so I was entertained by it. Um, but I don't think it impressed me like something like, say, uh, The Bridge on the River Kwai, which is kind of from a similar era and a similar production mindset, um, impresses me with its style more, more than this, I think. So three out of five, uh, a fun time all around, even if I don't think it's great. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 I think it's funny that the two, I think that at least these are our own self-identified um, stereotypes. The two that come out the most between both of you is like a central conflict that I care about <laughs> and am invested in and then style. Yes. And those are like the two, <laughs> those are the two things that definitely like in my mind occasionally fumble the bag. Mm. But I think, I think that, well, first of all, I would, I would go to, I would address Christian's um, point about the fact that this is based on something that really happened. And I think the timing was just early enough where there was less, well, I guess just early and just late enough where it was less, there was less of an intention of trying to sugarcoat it or trying to Hollywoodify it too much because, uh, as we've seen, uh, this is kind of an, an unavoidable mention. We've had a, uh, World War II POW film before Hearts War, yes, yeah. um, which was probably a lot more, you know, Hollywoodified. Uh, it's like loosely based on the story, but doesn't go like through the events of it. And I think. I think it, it, it really helps the fact that the, there was so much that was going on behind the scenes and there were so many people involved and the fact that they could get this many stars in on it to participate and, like, they all had different roles and different, like, monikers that we sort of not really remember them by. Um, they're, like, called it, like, three or four times throughout the whole mm-hmm. film probably, so it's not it's harder to remember a lot of it. Um, except the end credits, you're like, oh, I didn't know he was that. <laughs> big x they only call him that once i think so um but yeah i think it's really hard film to, to it's really it's a hard film to really not want to just accentuate a lot of like the exaggerations like just go all out and just show like you know them a lot of them getting shot and stuff like the the one um scottish guy climbing the fence and getting shot right. that's just like an indication that there is a possible threat of you leaving but i think a lot of the problem too is there's an oversaturation especially in the past probably 20 years of pow films that were uh japanese set and be just because the fatality rates in japanese pow camps was like 30 percent and then in german camps it was like you were you know there's like a five percent chance so like not even that i don't think um so i think yeah i think those are the difficulties that you have with trying to show like the events and I, I the coolest parts for me are a lot of the quotable moments and the, the individual conversations you feel like there's an ongoing like brewing way to escape you never feel like the the steam's being you know let out. i mean you always feel like it's it's uh this conflict is still rolling in the background even when like fun's happening especially with the the uh, potato fermentation yeah. and everything like that and like the goofy the goofiness and um that's why I gave it four stars. I think they're, it, it, the last half of the movie is what's cri- criticized for historical accuracy, which we'll talk about. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's probably where the most royalties were were taken on that front. And I think, and and a lot of the um, the actual uh, camp people that survived or anyone that was like involved in the whole escape um, agreed with that. And I think uh, I think that was 
possibly an issue, but it's it's so under-accentuated, and like you had mentioned, both of you really liked the motorcycle chase. I yeah. feel like that was by far, like, that was a completely just Steve McQueen idea. Oh. Uh, I have to have motorcycle scene to be in this movie type <laughs> thing, so uh, that's... And I think it really added a good little, like, suspense thing, and the subplots I thought were very interesting. Um, so, yeah, I gave it four stars. Uh, we can talk about the... Um, well, Zach had mentioned the style, and I think uh, that was something that was not nearly as big of a deal to me because I'm kind of used to a lot of, like, uh, standardized style when it comes to war suspense slash adventure films, and I feel like a lot of films of that to- of this time had that same um, layer, and, and I agree. I, th- I think there's a couple times where I was surprised, especially during the conversations, um, besides, like, just having the sitcom (laughs) we're sitting in the like the the three wall type deal uh but uh some of the like the follow shots with steve mcqueen and him sitting in the boxed uh cooler and everything i think all those are pretty memorable but what what did you guys think of the style in terms of um like other war films that you've seen and like why was it as big a a deal for you christian and why was it a bigger deal for you zach like was it just is it just because it, it wasn't standing out or like it wasn't because my issue okay i'll, I'll supplement this question <laughs> because i think for me i feel like there has to be a purpose to have more of an accentuated style like is there any reason for the film to stand out outside of the uh, outside of the history that it's trying to tell um or like that because that's to be I'm, obviously that's interesting to me personally but uh, setting my bias aside i feel like the film was trying to tell an account of this mm-hmm. and just it wasn't trying to like over dramatize it or anything. So like, what would be your suggestion? Then? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think w- when I talk about the the style of the film a lot of the time and and the style being sort of plain, I, I'm more talking about the way that the that it's filmed and the way that it's put together doesn't really. Mm-hmm put me in the feeling of a scene the way that I feel it could if it was maybe shot a little differently um, so I'll use like a, a season 2 example which I think was more of an egregious offender in this in this case but this film kind of reminded me of it in a few places uh, when we watched Where Eagles Dare uh, my big criticism mm. of that movie was that so much <laughs> of it is just flat and wide and even when things that could be intense are happening they're not filmed in a way where you're put in the situation and thinking like, oh, shoot, pick up that grenade. You're just like, oh, he's going to pick up the grenade. Um, so there was that scene in the hallway and where Eagles Dare, where someone throws a grenade at Clint Eastwood, and it's sitting there for like four seconds. <laughs> and just in the same wide shot, he leans down and picks it yeah. up and throws it back. Um, and in a moment like that, you could really edit that and shoot that in a way that creates some tension around the idea of, there's a grenade right there, and Clint Eastwood has to keep shooting at these Nazis to keep them back, but if he doesn't get the grenade, he's going to blow up any second now. And the way that it's shot just doesn't communicate that tension. Um, I think there's a lot of portions of this film where that's also a complaint for me. Um, I think a lot of the stuff in the tunnels um, doesn't really communicate the the claustrophobia um, and the the tension of being in there quite the way that I think it could. 
Um, and, and a lot of the film, the point is just look at the procedure, look at the planning. And so for that, I think the kind of flat and wide is, is okay. I don't mind that as much. But especially scenes like where there's a cave-in or scenes where like mm. uh, Danny is hearing uh, creaking in like the rafters above him. And he's clearly in this situation of like, is this going to cave in on me at any second? Like you could take some more time there and you could get a shot a close-up of Danny as he kind of looks up and you could see a little bit more on Charles Bronson's face to kind of put you in the emotion of that moment. And a lot of the time, they don't do that. They just kind of shoot it from the side on this sort of cut-out set that they have. Um, and it's a narrow shot, but it doesn't it doesn't bring what it could to that moment. And it's, it's just little things like that that I critique more when I'm talking about the style, I think. Yeah, I don't have the vocabulary to address this the same way Zach does. Um, but strangely, I, I can't say why, but the camera work in um, Where Eagles Dare did not bother me as much as here. Um, I felt like a lot of the time... How do I describe something I don't have a term for? It. So it, it just felt like the camera doesn't move a lot. And when it mm-hmm. does, it felt like it, it, was, it was turning to where the where a character was going like <laughs> like the motorcycle when he goes and then it's like mm-hmm. uh, like follows him to to down that sort of trench is not the right term but but between the the barbed wire or whatever like in the gully circles yeah. back around yes um but for for most of the rest of it it just felt very static to me and um i don't know if i'm overlooking something or if i was just less less inclined no i, I don't know why but um yeah, where I, I did you uh, watch this, Christian? I streamed it. I think it was on Max, if I remember correctly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's do on you, Max. What, yeah. What, do you remember what aspect ratio it was in? Widescreen, um, uh, black bars. I'm not sure exactly what. Okay. But, okay. Because yeah. something, I mean, if you saw it in the widescreen, then then that makes sense. But a lot of copies of this movie are distributed in uh, 16 by nine. Um, mm. and then just the mm. opening and ending scenes are in the proper aspect ratio. Um, oh. So I had thought, and when they do that, they do pan and scan for scenes like, say, the motorcycle. So in post, they've just made it kind of move with it. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think that distracts from, from some of the intention as well. But it sounds like you weren't, you weren't saddled with that kind of a copy, which is good. Yeah, I guess not. So it, mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't that extreme, but I guess it was sort of unremarkable and... I was looking for something to, like like you were uh, using Where Eagles Stare as an example, something to, to make me feel more tension or just more investment one way or another. And it wasn't a negative as much as it was an, a non-factor in that, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I will add on to that. I think um, even though it didn't bother me nearly as much and I didn't think it was nearly as necessary, uh, in, in, at least speaking to the situation, but I think the subplots there's a lot of i mean i guess because it's focusing on the characters a lot and focusing on like the the getaway for each of them and like focusing on the conversations that they're having there's a lot of like backgrounds and stuff that were entirely real backgrounds that like weren't backlot pictures and and stuff like the area and things like that which was interesting i think a lot of those um settings were very believable and i think i mean i I could pretty much tell that like the camp was like not a real camp. It wasn't in a real place, but at least at nighttime, uh, I think that 
uh, well, I don't know how they do the lighting, but I thought the lighting was, was good to see everybody's faces, and um, I like to make fun of Steve McQueen's uh, fit, and I rate his fit 3 out of 10 for um, incognito oh, uh, yeah. operations. <laughs> because, uh, yeah. So, um, otherwise, I think I think the setting was very believable. I think uh, I will mention the uh, uniforms. I know you guys wouldn't know exactly, but um, there was the uh, the Waffenfarbe uh, collars. The colors on their collars are uh, distinctly with the Luftwaffe uh, Air Force, right? Because it was the Air Force that managed um, basically all the POW camps, in case you didn't know. And um, because Hitler did not like Goring very much, so he's like send some of your worthless troops to the freaking POW camp. So a lot of that, what you see will be uh, reconnaissance ones, which are gold, and then red is the uh, flak, um, like the anti-aircraft uh, gun people. So a lot of them are like younger kids or like random goober officers that can't do anything right, so they send them to a POW, to POW camp. Um, which I think was a good, it was an interesting contrast later having the Gestapo show up and the SS and like showing how they operate differently. I mm. thought that was an interesting um, an historically accurate uh, touch, but uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, for me, I don't think believability was really much of an issue, except the second act, which I guess we can talk about now in terms of historical accuracy. But uh, well, actually, I'll mention the whole, the big thing. The big, oh. the biggest things were that the uh, there were Germans that actually helped them. There was a little bit of evidence oh. of this with the camera. Um, there, there were Germans that were staunchly anti-Nazi that actually helped them escape, and they were kind of a major factor in them um, escaping when it came to, like, getting supplies and covering things up. And, you know, um, there's a lot of paying off the guards and things like that, which is a very common thing at the time mm-hmm. um, for camps and, like, situations like this. Uh, and I think um, that, I think you can kind of guess why they wouldn't do that. There really isn't much room in the narrative for that to happen. I mean, I suppose they could add few more things here and there maybe pad it but i think a lot of the central conflict had to do with actually digging the tunnels and like protecting the tunnels existence and that was kind of like the main part before the actual escape Mm -hmm. um there is no obviously they have to show germans getting like knocked out and stuff that never actually happened um and then going on to the second part yeah so the the plane thing never happened the motorcycle thing obviously never happened um there's a lot of question as to whether or not the good luck line was ever said there's a lot of historians that actually accepted that to be true just because of how um impactful and memorable that scene was for a lot of people so uh but but there's no like way to corroborate that so um based on what you know (laughs) and what i've just told you does that at all influence like is there any is there any of that that influences your opinion of like how the accurate things should have been and i know that christian mentioned like maybe that might be an, like a bigger issue for someone else or like that's that might be part of the reason why it was kind of a drag um, or that it wasn't as easy to invest in like the, the conflict because there wasn't really much of like a war, sense of war and terror going on. It was kind of just like guys running a camp mm-hmm. because that's kind of how it really was. Uh, so what did you guys think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of the second half, none of that there... Uh, None of those events that I guess didn't actually happen uh, particularly distracted me. Um, I mean, while watching it, I, I, part of me was probably, a uh, part of me did think, you know, okay, did uh, this Steve McQueen insert character really 
uh, almost jump over the barbed wire fence to Switzerland? Probably not. Maybe somebody almost did at some point, but almost certainly not this exact person in relationship to the camp. But it feels like something that somebody could realistically try at that time. Same thing with the plane. Um, nothing mm -hmm. feels especially far-fetched. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I mean, it's not like at some point Richard Attenborough commandeers a tank or something. It never, like, <laughs> jumps the shark or anything like that. Um... <laughs> And in terms of the camp proper, um, I, I know, Christian, you had mentioned that the, the Nazis in the camp didn't really feel like a threat. Um, that never really bothered me, um, even when I was younger, uh, because it, it's sort of always been my impression, at least, that, uh, you know, the relationship between the Nazis and prisoners of war was, I mean, yes, they were prisoners, but uh, outside of that, it was all rather begrudgingly civil was kind of my impression uh, of course a movie like hearts war shows uh much more <laughs> desperate conditions um but uh my bruce willis my dad's a uh, uh, social studies teacher in high school actually was a prisoner in the camp that hogan's heroes was based off of um, wow and his that's great. account of the situation was that you know it wasn't like a, a charlie chaplin movie but things were you know not <laughs> awful um you know it was it was all rather kind of as courteous as it could be in that situation um and i almost kind of think that that kind of works within the confines of the movie because um it makes the the kind of concluding scene toward the end where 50 of these escaped prisoners are rounded up and shot it kind of makes it into into a shock equivalent to that that it is for the um the prisoners themselves um because i mm -hmm. think a lot of the first half of the movie, even though there's the sense of, like, oh, we can't get caught, um, it is kind of, like, jovial, um, and there is this sense of, like, we can't get caught because we'll just have to stay here until the war is over, and we want to go home. Um, and at, at the end, there's kind of the shock of, like, they're talking about, oh, well, they're going to put us in another camp. We're going to have to dig another tunnel, and they're kind of, you know, having this <laughs> And then... <laughs> they all end up being shot uh and it it kind of does mm -hmm. i think sort of turn things around and establish this feeling of like all right we had good fun but um you know there was a war on and, and people legitimately died um and i i, I think that kind of works for it even if maybe that contrast wasn't exactly intended uh that way i think that ending was certainly meant to be shocking but i don't necessarily think they were yeah. trying to lull people into a sense of security with the first half even though I think that kind of does happen. Um, Mitchell, I don't know if you have any uh, any input on whether the portrayal during the first half of this is, is especially accurate to how a camp like this would actually have been run, um, or if there would have been public floggings or something in actuality. I, I don't know. Well, the the thing is, is um, a lot of this was managed by the Geneva Convention. Oh. So um, the, the biggest, I think... It's, I think it's good that Christian mentioned that it feels like there's not really much of a conflict because there really wasn't. Like, it, you're literally, like I said, they're if you're putting in the shoes of, like, the Germans. Like, they're not, they're just, like, the kid that's locking up Steve McQueen's freaking, like, 18 years old, if not younger, <laughs> mm. right? Like, he's just some random dude that got conscripted and is, like, in the middle of, like, you know, he's in the middle of the Eastern Front, and they mentioned that as a joke, which is great. Um, but... Yeah, like, you get it sent to the front if you don't, you know, if you have more escaped prisoners type of thing. Um, 
but you can't kill prisoners if they escape. That's a part of the Geneva Convention um, that was signed by Germany. So um, the Japanese did not sign that. So uh-huh. hence, hence the major reason why a lot of there is that issue. Um, and obviously there's a racial element to that as mm-hmm. well. Um, and cultural difference, that's a huge factor. Um, I think Unbroken, as, as very Hollywoodified it was, I, I think you get like a general idea that it was like a different place to live, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, yeah. I'll, I'll go on to what Christian wanted to say, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think every time we, we uh, visit a, a war film, I feel less inclined to weigh historical accuracy as important. And I feel like the disclaimer at the beginning of this film um, gave, in my opinion, gave or, or should give them more than enough license to do everything that they eventually did. And I don't think the fabrication got to the point where it was just so ridiculous or um, unbelievable that it negatively affected it as an entertainment product. And and morally or whatever, I'm, I'm pretty much unbothered by any other small changes. Um, I, I think probably the most... Um, and, and Mitchell, you mentioned earlier that there might not have been any Americans uh, at this camp or... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they do say uh, one of the specific things they say in this disclaimer is that they're composites of real men, but they're not mm. um, exact correspondence of, of those people. Um, I do think it's important that um, again the names are eluding me, but the one guy uh, basically gives up and, and tries to just just run and escape and, and gets shot, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like a big turning point for for Steve McQueen. Um, and I don't know if 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 events occurred so linearly uh, in in the real world and I, I have to imagine they probably didn't but i still think that's probably the most important like source of of momentum or like a climax before the climax so i, I think as long as it's in service of the story and and the way you're trying to tell it um deviating from from real world real world events doesn't really bother me uh, especially when you're so um, deliberate about saying yeah this isn't exactly what it was but it's pretty close yeah and i think um I will mention this because I did not know this until I researched. Um, I was trying to figure out whether or not there were Americans there. There are some claims that there was, and there's like some anecdotal accounts, but it's generally historically agreed that there wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say definitively what, which is true and which isn't. If there were Americans, there's probably very few, and there probably weren't as um, nearly as involved. It was a, it was intended for the British, the camp, and and um, a lot of them were. Uh, brought to the camp in 1943, so there wasn't like an influx of Americans. The camp was intended for uh, British um, airmen and things like that. So I think that that's kind of settled. I think one interesting fun fact, I'll say it really quick. Um, so Johnny Dodge, who is known as the Artful Dodger, was a uh, major in the British Army, right? And um, he's actually American. He was American born in New York City. Um, but he was a part of this escape. He was one of the three that eventually survived because I think there were 74 or 73, 74 um, that tried to escape. 50 of them got killed. Um, a lot of the other ones were recaptured and like other indiscriminate things happened to them. So what happened was I think all of them, I don't think any of them might have escaped after that first escape. Three of them or possibly more than three, but very few of them were brought to a concentration camp, actually. And Johnny Dodger was one of them in real life. Um, and they, cha- they chained them to the floor. But I'm not sure how exactly he escaped, but he did escape the concentration camp. <laughs> and then he actually survived wow. until, I think, like the 90s, 80s, 90s. So that could be its own movie in and of itself. Yeah. Maybe they could cast Bruce Willis as Major... <laughs> no. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's basically an impossible task, I think, to make this more suspenseful and more interesting without sacrificing historical accuracy, in my opinion. And I think I definitely agree with both of you that there wasn't anything that was, like, majorly sticking out to me that was historically inaccurate. There was things I knew right away that were probably not things that happened. And I just... Um, I already knew about the motorcycle chase thing and everything. It's <laughs> um, so like Steve McQueen isn't even a real character. Yeah. He's not based on anybody, I don't think. Um, he's kind of just like a funny American guy that's brash. Huh, American guy, brash man. Hmm. You guys so impolite all the time. Um, <laughs> so, okay. And, uh, yeah, okay, I was going to... Zach, you can talk about... If, if the camp was meant for the British, <laughs> I, yes. there wasn't an Australian there, was there? Um, like in real life? Like in real life, because that stuck out to me. Like, James Coburn cannot well, do an Australian accent. Why did you try to make him do an Australian right. accent? <laughs> yes, uh, I think I think my dad mentioned that. <laughs> um, so it's the British Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. So I, when I say British, I oh, mean okay. So people the from the colonies end up there. My too, mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So including the Australians, the Scottish. All okay. Okay. Because um, all of them were conscripted into the war effort as well. So. Uh, yes, and I think there was. I think that Australian might have been based off of a real one. <laughs> okay, um, all right. But a lot of these characters were based off of conglomerates of other characters, but a lot of the monikers that they had, I think all of them that were in the credits were real monikers that they used, like Big X and um, the Tunnel, the Tunnel Expert Tunneler mm-hmm. or whatever. Scrounger. Uh, what's his name? Yeah. The Drayton. Yeah, Scrounger. Um, obviously, those were caricatures. Those are over-exaggerated. It's funny that you mentioned, like, the Avengers. It's like they all have their own purpose um and and a lot of times they only have like one or two scenes where they use that purpose um uh what's his name james donald which it it is his name the scottish guy the tall lanky um who's the main like british officer who's in charge of everything while they're escaping Mm -hmm. he's like the sbo the senior british officer or something like just you know i think i think it's just like a cute adventure thing and i thought i mentioned this in my review it's basically you have to accept that this is like an adventure film and, like, that this is supposed to be, like, a fun, enjoyable thing. Oh, no, there's consequences. Fifty of them got shot, um, which was directly ordered by Hitler, by the way. Oh. Um, because he was so frustrated that there were so many escaping. Um, and this is in Germany, you know, so it's totally realistic. The Gestapo would have found them and killed them. All those scenes were, were fairly realistic, too. Um, but, yeah, that's all I have to say. Oh, and we can talk about the score. That, we can end on that. Because okay. The score, there's a lot of uh, motifs that are used for different characters. If you rewatch it, you can actually hear the different mm-hmm. motifs for different characters. Um, I, I bet, yeah, I was going to say Christian probably picked <laughs> up on that. What do you have to say, Christian? No, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, these little, these little <laughs> themes and, and light motifs that were recycled thoughtfully throughout. Um, mm-hmm. And it did make me think of John Williams, who does the same thing. Like, um, well. like the force theme <laughs> is, is played when, when Han's like, like, it's true, all of it, or whatever. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Yoda's theme when when his Force Ghost shows up or, or whatever. Those are two of there's like a billion examples of that in, in in any film he's done, and and it's effective. I mean, and I mean, I think a jerk reaction to something like that might be, oh, that's cheap or or lazy or, or something. But this is a this is a tradition that um, has existed uh, before before cinema as we know it has. I mean, this is this comes up in, in opera. Mm-hmm. Um, um, characters will have themes mm-hmm. in like, in like a, a, a romantic era German opera, you know. So uh, this is this is a 
a lengthy musical tradition, and I, th- I think that's for, for, for a reason, because it, it appeals to the, the base uh, human in, in all of us in a good way. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, Super Mario Brothers movie should be five out of five, <laughs> because there's like over a hundred oh musical motifs, <laughs> li- li- light motifs or whatever it's called. <laughs> if you've played every single Mario game, you will enjoy the ga- you enjoy the movie way the, more. The the Mario Cinematic <laughs> so. Universe, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the score is is pretty solid. I can't say I noticed it as much as uh, Christian did, um, and I think a lot of it is. I think a lot of it, the, the most memorable bits to me are at least the bits that are based around that central theme, that central whistled theme, which at least for me, like everybody knows it at least a little bit. It's like the, the theme to uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, which is very similarly mm-hmm. whistled, where um, even if you haven't seen the film, everybody kind of knows that tune from something. Maybe it showed up in like an advertisement or something like that, but they have some or familiarity. TikTok. That <laughs> maybe it's in a TikTok. I don't know. TikTok recently discovered 12 Angry Men. Who knows? They might, ex- they might discover oh, uh, <laughs> wow. uh, The Great Escape pretty soon, too. Um, and, you know, okay. I don't. This is sidetracking a little bit. As long as it encourages these young people to go find the actual film... I don't mind young people finding and being impressed by a scene from an older film on TikTok, um, as long as you know they track down the original film. If you're watching they're not, they're select not, scenes, though, Zach. I, I promise you they're not. <laughs> I, I think some of them might be. You know, it, there's there's millions and millions of people who use TikTok. They, they can't all be people who just ah oh, never mind. That some people have to at least go. Oh, I'll put that on my letterbox watch list. Yeah, maybe right next like to the Barbie movie. Um, <laughs> But, uh, okay, uh, I enjoy the score. Um, also, I really like uh, some of the bits, uh, particularly that follow uh, Danny and um, the guy that Danny escapes with. I forget that character's name. Um, but especially as they're kind of, like, going down the river and they find the boat. Uh, I love. I like some of the kind of more string, orchestral-oriented bits of that. Um, yeah, I guess now we're segueing into final thoughts. I'll just mention... Um, uh, shout out to William Russell, who's in this film. Uh, he doesn't play a huge character, but uh, William Russell, the same year this came out, um, would be one of the very first companions on Doctor Who. Um, he plays Ian Chesterton, mm. uh, who's a school teacher who's kidnapped <laughs> by the Doctor in the very first episode of the show, uh, which came out in November of 63. Uh, in this, he plays wow. the guy who's in charge of security um, for the team. Uh, so he's he's got little lines here and there, and basically any time that the security team are like knocking on things and doing things as a signal, he's there somewhere in the mix, um, even if he's not one of the the big name characters. Right on. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was it was fine. It just wasn't for me. Um, shout out to to James Coburn for voicing oh, Water Noose in Monsters, Inc. <laughs> Take that, Zach. <laughs> oh, I totally forgot that was him. James Coburn is a great actor. I just, I, I like yeah. him a lot. The man just can't do a accents of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see, he was in The Player, too? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Cool guy. Okay, yeah. I'll mention... Sorry, we're going to say Christian? No, I, I was just going to say things that we already know Um uh, I just think you probably know whether you like this film or not um, before you watch it. Mm-hmm. And um, if you have the patience for a three-hour film, you'll probably find something to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I'll mention, um, 
Hannes Messimer, who is the uh, uh, Oberst von Luger, the commandant. Oh, yeah. He actually served on the Eastern Front for the Germans, so he was an actual German officer. Wow. So that's kind of cool. Um, doesn't usually happen. But um, who else? Who, uh, David McCallum, who I didn't even recognize was in this. He was uh, in the TV show The Man from Uncle, and he's also in I- NCIS, if anybody knows that. Oh, the new NCIS? Um, uh, wh- oh my the god! The show that's been running for Zach? like thirty years. The new <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah, okay. yes, yes, yes. Um, my dad will know, and po- probably our parents would. Know. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> yes. But anyway, um, yes. I uh, I think you will know if you like this or not. Um, it's it really. I wouldn't. I don't know if I want to go as far as to say it's like the progenitor, but I think I think it pretty much is like the progenitor of World War Two POW films. Um, and, and kind of standardized like Hogan's Heroes as like the meme show mm-hmm. and I think um, this is probably one of the definitely one of the best ones in that very small subgenre and I think uh, yeah I think I think it's a necessary watch for like war movies of the 60s I think it's kind of one of the you know I don't know I'm running out of idiots <laughs> Zach, Zach can spin them out in like two seconds I, I can't do that um yeah, <laughs> I, I gave it a four out of five. I think it's a, a great time. So, great. Um, yeah. All right. Time for the weekend, weekend review. review. <laughs> so this this train's gonna keep going. This, <laughs> this fun. Uh, this fun fun times. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we go ahead, Zach. Lead us <laughs> off. <laughs> um, this is the the rare uh, group weekend review. We all got together recently. Uh, for for a movie night with an old high school friend of ours and uh, we watched a couple of films we watched uh, Jerry Seinfeld's cinematic epic uh, (laughs) the B movie uh, and we watched the film that we'll be talking about this evening with you all uh, (laughs) The Room um, that great epic of uh, bad moviedom Uh, so it was was an epic evening Um, (laughs) I mean I think I was the only one there who had already seen the room although that was years before and i certainly got more than i expected <laughs> out of it on this evening so um, wh- what did you guys think of the the room <sighs> i'm still not sure which room the room is supposed to be <laughs> the room is where the heart is it's where we make relationship work anyway yeah. you want to go get some ice cream <laughs> Also, eat, how huh? is your sex life? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think the, the title is a... Because originally he wrote this as a long, rambling novel. And then he oh, turned Jesus. it into a play. And I think oh the God. title is a relic of when it was a play. Because I think when it was a play, mm, it was okay. all going to be set in the apartment living room. And that's why in the movie, whenever anything seems to happen characters walk into the apartment living room for reasons that really make no sense in a movie um such as the two friends who go into the apartment to have sex in their friend's apartment even though they presumably live in the same building um like in a stage play i think you'd kind of forgive something like that because if the scene was relevant at least um you know we need to see these characters on stage and the set is the room but in a movie, you know, you could just take us to their apartment, um, which the film does not do. 
I don't know if I should even attempt to to critically assess this, but Tell basically, what, Christian, why don't you explain the plot? Walk oh, us through what oh, happens God. in the narrative yeah, okay. of this the film. Plot? Why is what this is my the job? Plot? The challenge. Um, okay. Um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Johnny. 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 Okay. <laughs> for Johnny. They say his name like fifty times. I know. In the I, know movie. I know. I'm. I'm sorry. I just internalized Tommy Wiseau as as like Judas, and that's all, that's all I had space for. <laughs> Johnny. So Johnny is played by Tommy Wiseau, who also um, wrote, produced, and directed this. Um, is just like the best dude ever. Like, he's he's just like the best. He's he's amazing. He's, and um, there's this kid named Denny that lives in, in their apartment building. And he's just, like, taken Denny under his wing and, like, paid for his college tuition. And Denny's just there. So that's Denny. And um, uh, But anyway, uh, Johnny is dating Lisa. And they, he wants to get married to Lisa. But um, because Lisa is a woman and uh, women are, are, are cheating uh, uh, untrustworthy creatures... <laughs> Um, this this falls apart and um lisa uh, uh spoiler alert um cheats on johnny with with his best friend and then starts telling people that johnny hit her when in fact he, he did not hit her he did not, not. <laughs> um, and um scenes happen uh, every scene in this film tends to happen like three to four times instead of once um you get the mm-hmm, same conversation mm-hmm. a billion times over sometimes characters will will say one thing and immediately contradict themselves with the next sentence and it is a uh, a, a miserably bad film and and <laughs> if, if i'm taking it seriously it's like probably a misogynistic and hateful film too yes. <laughs> not one you really want to watch unless you're in really good company and with other people that can enjoy how terrible it is so <laughs> well said i think i think um there's nothing that christian said that was not true <laughs> however i think i had a lot more fun and i think the i think the reason why i don't want to like i don't want to compare it to like something like paul blart because that's like a different genre yeah you know, Paul Blart is style. No, movie, I don't. At least, <laughs> thank you, Zach. I don't, thank you. Okay, that's all you're allowed to say now. I don't okay. trust anything else you're going to say. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, I think I think it was fun because there's a character with a very strange accent, <laughs> and I think that's funny. And I also think that the acting is bad, but in different ways. Mm. And I think you can tell that the actors came from different places with different, if any, lessons on <laughs> how to act. <laughs> and I think, um, I think how repetitive some of the scenes are, and like how many mistakes that they can make in their performances that make it seem so painfully obvious that they are people in a room speaking words and not anything else. <laughs> And I think having like the repeated messaging and that and that the seriousness and I think Zach kind of mentioned this in a different way, but um, how intent that Tommy is in like telling the story and like mm-hmm. how serious he is about it is what makes it so funny. And that I think it's not just like oh it's a terrible circumstance and it's like somebody's taking something and trying to make it, you know, they're trying to like make light of it or something. But this is actually like. Something he actually believes, you can you, you feel that with the direction. I can't believe you feel that You're right, through though. his direction, yeah. and you feel it through his own personal involvement with the writing and production and everything. 
And I, I think that is something... It's hard to say that it's admirable. I mean, I guess it is. I guess it is admirable to an extent. But I think I think that's what makes it fun to watch with other people. I think if you're really looking to critically analyze this, you are, like, beyond wasting your time. It's like <laughs> reasonably, it's not even fair to... Apply, so. apply a Marxist lens to the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apply a Marxist lens. Do not apply a feminist lens, you will lose. No, yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah. I think okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something kind of audacious here, but you know, let me finish. Um, <laughs> I, I do think, kind of following on from what you have said, Mitchell, I think that Tommy Wiseau is an artist, and by mm-hmm. extent, the room is art. It's bad <laughs> art, and he's a <laughs> bad artist. But in the room, I think he does what an artist is meant to do, and that he very much expresses himself through his work. Uh, Almost embarrassingly so, it is apparent that The Room is the anguished, strangely accented yell of a man in deep pain who earnestly believes that everyone has betrayed him. Um, And this is him expressing that. Um, I, I, I will agree that I think it should only be watched with a group um because i think that's the only way that it becomes Mm -hmm. fun uh like the last time i watched this i watched it on my own and if you just watch it on your own it's just a slog because like Mm -hmm. christian said everything happens like three times um it's like you could you could condense the content of this film down to like a two-page pamphlet (laughs) um and so little of it. it 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 is almost fascinating to see somebody who clearly has no idea what a story is (laughs) try to tell one because Mm -hmm. people say the same things over and over again and he's clearly thought oh well some of these scenes feel a little samey so why don't i throw in something new so you'll have characters like admit that they have breast cancer and then it (laughs) never comes back or it becomes important or informs anything in the future you'll have uh, bizarre scenes where something clearly happened earlier that a character is meant to address, but they really don't need to address it because there was no reason for it to happen in the first place, which is how you get, like, the me underwear scene where the guy, the, the friend, comes up to them in the alleyway and has this long, rambling recollection of a situation where he... He left his underwear in their apartment. <laughs> I and then they play football. <laughs> and then they play. They toss the away. football around <laughs> in a two by two by two triangle. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I even more so than the room. I really recommend reading the Disaster Artist, the book, which Greg Sestero wrote about being in the room and being friends with Tommy Wiseau and like living with him and reading about all of that i think really informs the room and it's it it's not like it makes it make more sense but it adds more background and expands the picture in a way that you can at least like wrap your head around it also adds lots of stranger details like apparently tommy had to be talked out of an ending where Johnny would drive a BMW off of the roof of the apartment <laughs> building and be revealed to be what? a vampire when it flew away into the horizon. Oh my god. Um, wow. Of nothing. Um, 
but it, it does kind of add a lot more from the the crew and cast perspective that makes you realize how even if the final work is bad everybody who had to work under the domineering hand of Tommy Wiseau was at least really trying to make a real movie um yeah The, the Room 1 out of 5 I, I think we all disliked it but uh also, also like kind it. of enjoyed watching it yeah <laughs> okay is it time for me to uh, go on the Marvelous Cinematour yeah where am i um oh yes where am i i've fallen and i can't get up um (laughs) okay so in a few weeks time i reviewed thor love and thunder so (laughs) now i'm talking about uh black panther wakanda forever um huh so okay um, I will preface this by saying that if you've been watching us for the last season, you'll know I didn't really like the first Black Panther movie. Um, it was a huge hit when I was in, we, when we were all in, I think junior year of high school. Um, but I really wasn't caught up in the wind, and eventually when I saw it on demand, I, I didn't really see what the big deal was. Uh, this film, I, during the marketing at least, was a lot more excited for because in the trailers, it the color grading and cinematography looked a lot more impressive than the first one. Um, it, it looked and felt like an actual movie. And like I mentioned last time, or like I mentioned in three weeks, um, the, uh, the needle drops chosen for the trailer, I thought were really effective and kind of kind of got the people going. Um, now that I've actually watched the film, I... Uh, Yes, it feels and looks more like an actual movie than the first Black Panther. I will insist on that. But mm. I, I'm not going to say I was especially impressed. The first, like, ten minutes or so, I was actually kind of excited and uh, sort of in suspense, which was a new feeling for me. I haven't felt that in Phase 4 of, <laughs> of the MCU. Um, but uh, there's that kind of cross-cut sequence where... Um, Angela Bassett is delivering an address to the UN while I think like French, uh, a French military squad are like breaking into Wakandan, into a Wakandan lab. Um, and the editing there is pretty good and it feels like there's some actual consequences and they kind of, they really emphasize the fact that T'Challa has died between films due to the tragic death of Chadwick Boseman. But it sort of felt like, wow, okay, I, I, it actually feels like there's some, some grit here and there's some consequences and T'Challa is actually just dead I'm kind of impacted by that and then all the Wakandan scientists like take out the military squad and one of them makes a little joke about their spears and I thought oh oh no mm-hmm. we're we're back where we started <laughs> um, you forgotten I don't think we're all the way back where Feige. we started I do think this is better <laughs> this is like a 3 out of 5 compared to Black Panther's 2 out of 5 but um Again, I, 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 I think the issue now is that everything in the MCU is subservient to the great cinematic universe. Not just the great cinematic universe, the great multimedia universe, because we got to set up shows on Disney Plus now, too. Mm-hmm. To the point that there's moments in this where I thought, oh, are they referencing this little thing to set up for later, but it's going to be subtle and it's not going to impact the whole narrative of the film? Specifically, I thought about that in regard to uh, 
uh, character I can't remember the name of, but she's going to be essentially the next Iron Man type character. Um, and Riri when she Williams, was, Ironheart. Uh, Ruby Williams? Riri. Riri Williams, yes. okay. Um, and when she was introduced, I thought, okay, she's she's kind of got the snappy dialogue going. She's clearly very intelligent. She designed this thing for uh, the United States military, or maybe S.H.I.E.L.D., um, I think they've talked about doing another, like, iron blank type film. Maybe it could be her. And then the film dismissed any ambiguity whatsoever and had her actually get in an Iron Man suit and fly around. And this thing that could have been, like, a cool little hint was turned into a, do you get it? She's gonna be the next <laughs> Iron Man. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and, and even, I mean, I think the, the, the ending battle in this is it sort of over CGI and I think overscaled? Yes, but I, I did. I was kind of involved in the conflict between uh, Namor and um, Shuri. Good job. There we go. <laughs> um, nice. I, I was I was involved with that, and I thought, okay, great. He was defeated, and uh, you know he went back to the ocean, and there was this conclusion, and then he's painting a cave painting and setting up for a later film and i'm just i'm i'm really tired of everything just being another domino nothing mm -hmm. can ever just be conclusive nothing can ever be the end of anything uh, and it's really starting to wear down on me um also <laughs> martin freeman uh did even less in this movie than he did in the first wow. black panther to the point that i i genuinely do not feel he had to be in this film at all um <laughs> So I think depressing. <laughs> I think he's in it so that his interaction with uh, Elaine can set up <laughs> a, a shield show. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, Julia Louis Dreyfus is in this film. I keep um, forgetting. Yeah, because she that she's in for, for this now. <laughs> I I know that everybody has to be in the MCU now, but Julia Louis Dreyfus. Uh, she she really feels out of place in this. I think she's just she's too comedic like a personality mm -hmm. um, where anything she says and and does in this movie feels like it's gonna be followed by boom 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 boom. <laughs> you know, I, I just it, 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 it all feels like a gag to me. Um, so I think she's a weird choice and her and Martin Freeman, I think they're meant to have this weird competitive chemistry, but I don't think they do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it started promisingly and then tanked itself as it went along. Um, what is next for me? Um, I think maybe... Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp? Quantumania, maybe? Yes, Quantumania. Wow, is we're almost... Is yeah, that it? We're, <laughs> the end is in sight. Um, <laughs> wow. So uh, last week I will have reviewed... Quantumania. <laughs> um, so you already know my thoughts on it at this point. But um, yeah, this is one that... I, I actually had some friends go to see this in the cinema. And I almost went with them. And then I had homework. And uh, as, after they got <laughs> uh, back... Homework. After they got back, I thought, yeah, I think it's a good thing I didn't go to see that. Because, <laughs> yeah, they were like unanimously like, yeah, it was bad. Um, and I, I think Quantumania is kind of... Based on the consensus I've heard, Quantumania is sort of the turning point where even people who were, like, very into these films beforehand were like, yeah, that one wasn't very good. What's going on here? Um, 
So tune in next time if you want to hear my thoughts on a film that nobody seems to like. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the meantime, three out of five for Wakanda Forever. Cool. So that means that after Guardians 3, we have to wait until November. Oh, no, I'm done Marvels. after Guardians 3. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, tapping no. out after Guardians 3. Yeah. No. Marvel, Zach. No, I review I, the Marvel Zach. No, no, no. I, I, we are releasing Zach from his indentured servitude after Guardians Three. Um, that is only fair. We put him yeah. off. There, yeah. there might be a bit of a break though between Quantumania and me talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. That is until our episode, uh, until episode ninety three comes out. Um, maybe it will be on physical and streaming by then. But I, I don't think it comes out on streaming and physical until like early August. So there might mm. be a couple weeks that I take off until I can get a hold of a copy of the film. Cause I'm, I'm sorry guys. I heard it was, a, I heard it was good, but I'm not buying a belated ticket to see guardians of the galaxy volume three oh, in cinemas that's fine. like that's two months fine. after it came out. <laughs> yeah. Fine. <laughs> what's what's now what? <laughs> <laughs> uh run down around run down <laughs> gotta escape gotta escape i'm digging um minute for christian to run down as fast as possible Oof. before the germans capture him just so he can escape again i got this in a different tunnel that can start okay. off and time us in three, two, one, start. Theme song. Two out of five. No, three out of five. No, four out of five. <laughs> Duty of officer to escape. Three out of five. 99% being ill-mannered. Three out of five. Rotten eggs in one basket. Three out of five. Baseball. Three out of five. Zikula. Four out of five. Bike riding paying tuition. Four out of five. Tea without milk being uncivilized. Three out of five. Nellis Warbler. Three out of five. Focal plane shutter. Three out of five. Potato moonshine. Two out of five. Khaki pants at night. <laughs> Four out of five. Tally ho. Three out of five. McQueen motorcycle stunts. Four out of five. Resistance drive by. Two out of five. Good luck. Three out of five. Okay, we, we had a concise one oh, this phew. week. But I was worried because I really bungled the beginning there. Oh. <laughs> that was only three <laughs> seconds spare, though. Um, wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, this has been uh, 91, mm-hmm. and who is for number 92? Uh, yes. That will be me. Um, yeah. And let me flip the page in my uh, cookie pocket diary. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, next time we'll be bringing one of my favorite directors onto the show. Um, unfortunately, we'll be bringing maybe his worst movie onto the show, too, um, because next time we're going to be talking about David Lynch's Dune from 1984, um, widely regarded by everyone, including him, as uh, his worst motion picture. But, you know, the nation has been struck by Dune fever over the past few years. Um, I think we all three saw the uh the villeneuve adaptation of dune so uh mm-hmm. i'm i'm curious to see what you guys think of this one which is um uh definitely radically different from from that one so tune in next time if you want to listen to us talk about dune from 1984 otherwise we'll keep 
fighting the cause against the German war machine 13 <laughs> episodes of World War II films later. Right on. <laughs> With that, I will play the theme song of Great Escape. I don't I don't have it on hand, but we'll just, oh, okay. we'll just We're not getting DMCA'd up in here. Alright, that's it. That's it, Zach. No, no. Copyright. Copyright. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.